Israel was like the child who rebelled and ran away from home, leaving the father heartbroken. You may remember in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, that the Lord spoke to Israel and said that the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all the people. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage and from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Therefore know that the Lord, your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those that love him and keep his commandments. The Bible, many times throughout the Old Testament, will elaborate, and beautifully so, on the relationship that God had and desired to have with the children of Israel. Like the passage in Deuteronomy chapter 7, there are many which remind us of the great love that he had for them, and that love being the motivation, the reason why he provided for them and protect them and was so protected them and was so patient for them. But as we also know, the Bible is equally clear on the fact that Israel did not always reciprocate that love and that faithfulness to their father. That's one of the main points and emphasis of the book of Hosea. And in in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1 through 4, God describes his feelings about the unfaithfulness and the dissatisfaction and the wickedness of the nation and the people whom he loved. He said, when, I, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed to the Baals and they burned incense to the carved images. I taught Ephraim to walk taking them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love, and I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped and I fed them. The picture of God and Israel in Hebrews, excuse me, Hosea chapter 11, verse 1 to 4, is the picture that we see repeated many, many times, even today, between a father and between his son, or even his daughter. The picture is of a father who cares with tenderness and compassion for his child. He feeds, he provides, he protects, he strengthens, he guides. There are even words, even images of a father who stoops down to hold the arms of the small child when the child is just learning how to walk, how he helps to keep the child steady so that he doesn't fall over and hurt himself as he navigates very carefully through those first steps. That's the relationship, that's the image, that's the love that God had toward his people Israel. But in Hosea chapter 1 and verse 2, The Bible says this, The Lord spake to Hosea and said, Go take to yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, because the land has committed great harlotry from departing from the Lord. 
This book of the prophet of Hosea begins with this incredible word picture, this very graphic word picture, in which Hosea is instructed to take to him a wife of harlotry because it's to be a walking, living, and breathing image to the children of Israel, a reminder to them of how they had been unfaithful to the father who literally raised them and guided them and cared for them from their infancy. They had rebelled. And so because of their rebellion, rejection was required and punishment was coming. But that's not the end of the story. In our chapter this morning, Hosea chapter 14, we have a chapter in which God simply declares, I'm going to heal you and I'm going to love you and I am going to love you freely. This is the chapter that we find like all of the uh, like in all of the books of the minor prophets in which after having described in picture after picture and chapter after chapter the terrible nature of sin and the terrible pain of suffering that's to follow as a consequence of sin God describes what his real intentions are and there are basically two parts to it first of all he looks to the future There are messianic thrusts in Hosea chapter 14 and in chapters like this one throughout the prophets. God has in mind ultimately what he will do in reconciling all of humanity to himself through Jesus Christ. But it also has within this chapter and within other chapters like it, it has this this tenor, this emphasis of the love of God that even though he is forced to punish Israel because of their sin in consistency with his holy and his just nature, his desire is not to do that. His desire rather is to heap upon them his love and his care and his benevolence. And his desire also is to heal them and to forgive them if they would but turn away from their wickedness and turn back to the God who loves them. So in Hosea chapter 14, we find the consequence of sin, but we also find the means or the way to overcome it, and we find the unceasing love of a God who simply waits and longs to forgive. I want you to look with me at the first three verses of this chapter, which we'll just call or title a call to repentance. Hosea chapter 14 verses 1 to 3, is a call to repentance. The Bible says, O Israel, return to the Lord your God, because you've stumbled, uh, you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord and say to him, Take away all iniquity. Receive us graciously, for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. Assyria will not save us, We will not ride on horses, nor will we say any more to the work of our hands, You are our gods, for in you the fatherless find mercy. I want you to notice in these three verses that there is, number one, the need for repentance. Number two, there is the fruit of repentance. And number three, there is is a return. Notice the need for repentance. First of all, in the first verse, 
God says, Israel, return to the Lord your God because you have stumbled. Look at the word stumbled. When, when God describes Israel as a people who have stumbled, he is not using language that describes some accidental fall, like what you and I might experience if we're walking down the street. Maybe we trip over our feet or something. This is not an accident. But rather, this stumbling is the kind of falling that results from immoral and foolish behavior. Literally defined, it means to fall in disgrace or defeat because of immoral and foolish behavior. And the picture is that Israel has fallen as low as they could possibly go. Sometimes we talk about in order for a person to recognize that they have a problem and to then decide to try and overcome that problem, that first they have to hit bottom. First, they have to get to the point where they could go no lower and they, they have come to finally realize just how terrible their situation is. And that is what God is describing by talking about their stumbling in Hosea 14 and verse 1. You have stumbled. You have fallen in disgrace. You have been defeated because of your immorality and because of your foolishness. And notice he says, this is not anybody's fault but yours. You have stumbled because of your iniquity. Throughout the book, this idea of stumbling is elaborated on in other passages. Like in Hosea chapter 4 and verse number 5, Hosea will say, just before he describes the people being destroyed for lack of knowledge, he will say that it is the sinfulness of the priesthood that has caused them to stumble. There was no spiritual leadership in Israel, and the lack of spiritual leadership caused them to stumble and fall in disgrace. But then in Hosea chapter 5 and verse number 5, he will talk about the upper class. He will talk about the rulers, the kings, and the governors, and the princes, and those who had deep pockets. And he will say that it is this upper class and this ruling class that stumbles because of their iniquity. And so, therefore, it's leaked down or it's uh, uh, trickled down to the entirety of the nation. There's no spiritual leadership because they've stumbled. There's no governing leadership because they've stumbled. And so now the whole nation has fallen and they need to repent. Now, how can they do it? Look at the next two verses. This is where God will outline what we'll call the fruit of repentance. And there are three things. There are three things in these two verses. Number one, there's an appeal for forgiveness. Israel is instructed to take words with her. Take words and return to the Lord and say to him, take away all our iniquity and receive us graciously for we will offer the sacrifice of our lips. I want you to notice that this is not a half-hearted cry. That kind of thing has already been dealt with earlier in the book where Hosea will talk to Israel about their, their seeming repentance that really is not. Going to God only with words, but words that are empty, words that are without motive, words that are without, without meaning and without intent, that's not what's being described here. 
When Hosea says, take words with you and you're turning to the Lord, this is not a half-hearted cry, but rather it is a deep and a, an intense and a sincere cry to the Lord from the depths of the heart. It is a plea for forgiveness that their sacrifices may be found acceptable in his sight. You recall earlier on that Israel has been condemned because what is described is a situation in which they are coming before the Lord and they're only going through the actions. They're only, they're only bringing sacrifice just because they think that's what they have to do. Not unlike the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says in verse number 1, Take heed therefore that you do not do your righteous actions, your, your actions of righteousness to be seen of men, to gather the praise of men. And then he says... Let me give you three examples. He talks about fasting and he talks about tithing and he talks about praying. And the point that he makes is that those Pharisees whose righteousness is fake, according to Matthew chapter 5, that they go through these actions, but it's only the action and it's only for the praise of men. It has nothing to do with any real inner conviction at all. But rather these folks are wicked and they're evil and their righteousness is fake. That same sort of thing had been going on in Israel for years. It has already been dealt with in Hosea and in Amos, and it will continue to be dealt with throughout the remainder of the books of the minor prophets. God says, don't come to me with empty words without meaning. Don't come to me with empty sacrifices or empty action without meaning, but rather come to me in sincerity and intensity and plea and ask for forgiveness so that when you come before me, then you may offer the sacrifices of your lips and they may be accepted. It's an appeal for forgiveness. He's calling on the people quite literally to fall down in sincerity on their knees before him and beg for his mercy. But then there's the change of action. Repentance is defined properly as a change of mind that leads to a change of action. And their change of action is described in the next verse. They say, Assyria will not save us. Which means literally, we're no longer going to depend upon foreign nations. That's been dealt with in chapter 5 and verse 13. And in chapter 7, in verse number 11, and in chapter 8, in verse number 9, the fact that although God had forbidden them from relying upon foreign nations for their help, they had done it anyway. And so they say, Assyria will not save us, meaning we're going to stop depending on foreign nations. They say, we will not ride on horses. Remember in 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 28 that the kings of Israel were warned about collecting horses unto themselves. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 15. But they ignored that, they ignored that uh, warning. And so what they did is they sought to heap for themselves massive amounts of military power. So they've depended upon their foreign, their foreign neighbors, not their allies, but their foreign neighbors to help them. They have depended upon their own military power to help them. And they say, we're not going to do it anymore. They say in verse 3, nor will we say any more to the work of our hands, you are our gods. Which literally means we're no longer going to bow down and we're no longer going to worship idols. And then they say at the end of the verse, because in you... The fatherless 
find mercy. There, are, there is here an appeal for forgiveness. That's verse 2. There is the fruit of repentance, the, the change of action. That's verse 3. And then there's the return. That's the end of verse 3. When Israel says, and you the fatherless find mercy, what they're doing is they are describing themselves as being an orphan. And indeed, Israel has become an orphan. All that they depended upon has failed them. They depended upon nations round about them. They failed them. They depended upon material things, wealth. That failed them as well. They depended upon military might. That failed them. They depended upon Baal. And that failed them as well. And so now, as Hosea says in Hosea chapter 1 and verse number 9, they are literally lo a me, which means not my people. The God who brought them up out of Egypt and who raised them from a, from a child has now rejected them because of their iniquity. And they are no longer his people. And yet they recognize that if they will be his people... It will be because of their change of heart, verse 1, which leads to their cry for forgiveness, verse 2, and which leads to their actions changing, verse 3, and coming back to a God of compassion who awaits with outstretched arms to welcome them home. Now look at verse 4 to 7. That God of compassion who waits with open arms to welcome back the fatherless promises to forgive them. He says in verse 4 and following, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them and I will be like the dew to Israel and he will grow like the lily and lengthen his roots like Lebanon. His branches shall spread, his beauty shall be like an olive tree and his fragrance like Lebanon. Those who dwell under his shadow will return. They will be revived like uh, grain. They will grow like a vine. Their, uh, their scent shall be like the wine of Lebanon, and Ephraim shall say, What have I to do any more with idols? I have heard and observed him. I am like a green cypress tree, and your fruit is found in me. I want you to notice that there are four things that God says. Based upon verses 1 to 3, which is their call to repentance, based upon their heart being changed, verse 1, and their cry to the Lord, verse 2, and their action being changed, verse 3. God promises, number one, I will heal their backsliding. Backsliding has to do with apostasy. And healing is only necessary when there's some sort of injury or some sort of disease. Here is the very graphic, very vivid, but very true reality of what apostasy really is. When we turn our back from God, what we have done is we have, in, we have uh, uh, given ourselves a self-inflicted wound. We have exposed ourselves intentionally to the most grotesque and most deadly disease that anyone could ever imagine. It overwhelms us like a cancer, and there is no way that we can remedy it except for God, who is the great physician, who promises in verse number four, I will heal your disease. I will heal your wound that has been so 
painfully self-inflicted. He says, number two, I will love. It's a strange sentiment, admittedly. I will love them freely. What does God mean when he says, I will love them freely? Well, first, you should note that this looks back to chapter 2, verses 14 to 23, which really is a preview of chapter 14 anyway. Because in the first two chapters of the book of Hosea, what Hosea will do is he will go through basically the entirety of this book in a couple chapters. He'll start by talking about the fact that Israel is, was God's child, God's bride, God's people. But then they cheated on him and they turned their back away from him and they left him. And so they're going to be punished. But then God waits with mercy and with love and with patience to forgive and to welcome her home. Hebrews 2 and verse 14 says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness and I will speak comfort to her. I will give her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. She will sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up out of Egypt. And it will be in that day, saith the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer my master. For I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals, and they will be remembered by their name no more. In that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, with the creeping things of the ground, bow and sword of the battle. Sorry. Uh, Bow and sword of the battle I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down in safety. Israel goes from being my people to not my people, from being my beloved to not my beloved, and then all the way back again. So in Hebrews, or excuse me, Hosea 14 and verse 4, when God says, I will love them freely, it reminds us of chapter 2, verse 14 to 23. But the word freely most literally means spontaneously or voluntarily or even abundantly, which tells us two things. Number one, it tells us that love is not deserved, but love is given. God so loved the world, you remember, John 3 and verse 16, that he gave his only begotten son. It's not that humanity has done anything whatsoever to deserve the sacrificial love of God, but because his love is so great, according to Ephesians chapter 2, he has heaped it upon us in great abundance. It's not deserved, it's given. But second, the fact that God's love is described as being voluntary or spontaneous or abundant means that when a person who has gone into sin experiences a true change of heart, Chapter 14, verse 1, which leads to a genuine cry for forgiveness. Chapter 14, verse 2, and fruits of repentance, which means the change of heart and the change of action. Hosea 14, verse 3, that the benefits of the boundless love of a heavenly father can then be showered and heaped upon them. God says, I will heal, I will love, and I will turn away my anger. In chapter 8, in verse number 5, God said to the people, the calf, your calf, 
is rejected, O Samaria, and my anger is aroused against you. But now the promise of 8 in verse 5 is assuaged. And though ultimately they will go into captivity, this is a prophetic promise looking long into the future, which reminds them that the end will be better. I will heal, I will love, I will turn away my anger, and now number four, I will bless. And the remaining verses going through verse 7, he will uh, use a number of, of metaphors, agricultural metaphors, if you will, that are designed to describe blessing and favor. He says, I'll be like the dew, which indicates, again, God's favor and blessing. He'll grow like the lily, which is intended to describe beauty. His roots will be lengthened, which is indicator of endurance. His branches will, stre- will spread, which is an indicator of thriving and of increase. And this will all lead to a final recognition in chapter 14 and verse 8. There is a call to repentance in verses 1 to 3. There is a promise to forgive in verses 4 to 7. And there is this final recognition now in verse 8. This is Ephraim, this is Israel now speaking to God. And after having experienced a true change of heart, after having experienced or expressed true fruit of repentance and then realized the real forgiveness of God, now they come to this recognition. What have I to do anymore with idols? I have heard and observed him, and I am like a green cypress tree, and your fruit, that is the fruit of God, is found in me. And the point is that they will finally come to the realization of the foolishness of their ways. And that's true for each and every one of us. In fact, this picture of Hosea chapter 14 is a picture that continues to unfold even until this very day and will continue to unfold until the world comes to an end and the Lord returns. Sin is a very difficult reality in this world for all of us, for all of humanity. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the Bible tells us that when we fall short and when we find ourselves lost in sin, that we are, to use the picture of the parable of the uh, prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, we are those who take what is not rightly ours. We are those who turn our backs on a loving father and we go out into a world of sin and hopelessness and shame and despair where there is nothing to be found but wickedness and misery. And we find ourselves, because of sin, covered in the the mud and the, the nastiness of the pigs. And yet the Bible says that if we're willing to bear forth fruits of repentance, Matthew chapter 3, that God, like the loving father in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, that he stands waiting with outstretched arms, ready to receive. It doesn't matter how wicked we've been. It doesn't matter how long we've been gone. It doesn't matter what we've done. The Bible teaches that we serve a God who is a God of love. And that God of love 
still desires to forgive. That's the beautiful thing about the picture. As terrible as sin is, and as painful as as his punishment is, yet the love of God who longs to forgive is infinitely greater. So the Bible teaches me and you and all of us then that we have to come to grips with the reality of sin. That we also have to recognize the pain of the consequence of sin. But most importantly, we need to stand in recognition and in appreciation of a God who longs to forgive it. He does it through the blood of his Son. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that he made him to be sin. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That he might reconcile us back to himself. That we might be able to enjoy the blessings and the wonder of being called a child of God. Do you want to know that relationship this morning? Do you want to be washed in the blood of Christ Jesus so that you can come home to a father who longs to welcome you? In a few moments, we're going to sing a song, the invitation song, and that's an opportunity for anyone who has a desire to become a child of God to come forward and let it be known. The Bible says that if we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, John 8 and verse 24, that if we're willing to repent of our sins, that's again a change of mind that leads to a change of action, like Israel in Hosea 14 and verse 3, that if we're willing to confess our faith, and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, Acts 2 and 38, that God will add us to his church, that we'll be his child. This morning, are you a Christian, but like Israel, you've wandered away? You've turned your back on the loving arms of a God who longs to receive and bless? Come back home. If you have any need at all, we invite you to come and let it be known while we stand and sing the invitation song.